We start a new series today, and, and, it, and it's called Glimpses of the Gospel. And it's interesting because the word glimpse, to me, is such a cool Christmas word. I don't know why I relate glimpse to Christmas. Well, I'll, I'll tell you some because I've been thinking about it. Uh, but it, to me, it's related to Christmas. And glimpse, just the word glimpse, is like a kind of a cool word to say, isn't it? It just like rolls off the tongue, for at least for me, like glimpse. It's just a cool word. There's some really gross words that are associated with Christmas, like the word moist. <laughs> Is anybody else with me? That's just a gross word. There's like words that are weird. No? There's two of There's three of us. All right. So there's, there's, but that's not, we won't talk. We're talking about like the word glimpse is like kind of a cool Christmas word. Like in my head, the word glimpse conjures up kind of what happens at Christmas. Like when you were a kid and your parents went shopping for Christmas presents and maybe they came home with all those bags and like you were hoping maybe one of them would fall or the bag would open or something just so you could get like a glimpse, right, of what was inside the bag. Or, or after your parents, if they like put uh, parents or, or whatever, uh, uh, put their Christmas presents away and they went out like to get a gallon of milk from the store or something. And like you spent that seven minutes like running through their bedroom trying to just get a glimpse, right, just a glimpse of that, of that Christmas present if if your parents were tough and they like wrapped them up right away so that you couldn't get into them and you just tried to use a knife. Anybody else do this? And cut that tape, right? Now, you don't need to see the whole thing, right? Not inside the box. I just need a glimpse of the box, right? Or, or maybe it's not presents for you. Maybe it's food. Like, you know, at Christmas time, you get that, that special thing that's only made on Christmas. It's like a turkey or a sweet potato pie or whatever it is. And like, as it's cooking, you can't wait. And so you try and sneak in the kitchen just to get just like a little, just a, little t- a little glimpse of what it tastes like, right? You know, you know what I'm talking about? And, and so by the time that pie is like ready, it's like half done. Or maybe it's cookies. Like you get together with friends or family and you make Christmas cookies and you were sure they were going to make three dozen. But when it actually comes to it, because all the glimpses of tastes that you've had along the way, it's like a dozen cookies. You're like, oh, well, that, was, that recipe was a lie, right? Or whatever. So maybe it's not food. Maybe it's not presents. Maybe... Um, Maybe for you, you your, your hope is to get just a glimpse of that Christmas bonus. If you, if you work for a company that does Christmas bonuses, maybe that's your hope. Like you just want a glimpse of what that's going to be so you can know if you can afford that thing you're thinking about in a few months. Just get a glimpse of that, right? Or, or, or maybe, uh, I don't know, a glimpse of something else. Just a, a small picture, right? A glimpse, not the full thing, just a glimpse of something. So, so we're starting a series that we're calling Glimpses of the Gospel. And the idea is that glimpses of the gospel, we think, I'm convinced, that the relationships that we have with other people give glimpses of the gospel, or, or should, or, or ought to, or, or do, give glimpses of the gospel. And as we think about the relationships that we have, where we want to go in this series, we want to look at the most intimate relationships that we have, and that would really be uh, family. Matter of fact, the, the theme slide behind us, uh, I forgot to mention this first service, so this is just for you guys, this secret. But uh, this is, this is a, a picture that was drawn by a kid. This is not some internet thing we found. It's actually a kid from North Point. Drew this picture of their family. My hunch is none of you could guess who that family is because it's not an exact representation. It's just, it's just a glimpse, right? Matter of fact, if that was an exact representation, that would be a little scary, wouldn't it? <laughs> like, who are those alien people, right? Glimpses of the gospel. So, so we've, we've talked a little about the word glimpse. 
let me, let me just talk a little bit about the word gospel. So we're all on the same page this morning. Gospel could be defined, I, I guess, in lots of ways. I, I feel like it's a, it's a word that the church maybe has uh, made more complicated than it needs to be. We've, we've put in maybe over the years so many different things into it, or maybe you know people that have just added so much to it, and it's like, man, it's so complicated. I could never understand the gospel. Well, I think the gospel is really simple to understand. And so the definition that we're going to use for this series that I want in your head and if you don't like this definition and you, you think it's missing pieces, that's okay. You can write your own definition. You write it on your hand. Come every Sunday. You look at that. Don't look at mine. That's okay. We'll love you still. But this is what I think captures the concept of the gospel in a simple way. It reads like this. The good news of the reconciling power of Jesus Christ for our lives now and into eternity. The good news of the reconciling power of Jesus Christ for our lives now and into eternity. Now, you notice that one of those words is a different color than the other words. If you're using the North Point app, we have an app here, and it's got some fill-ins. If you're a person that fill-ins and paying attention helps you really focus in, that's for you. We'll have a few fill-ins today. You'll see them. They'll all be in yellow and bold and underlined. Um, and, and, and that kind of might, might help you figure that out. If you've never heard that we had an app, we have a North Point app. You guys can download that from the Android store, the market, or iPod, i iTunes store, whatever we call these things these days, you can get it, no problem, follow along. It's got all the verses in there. makes it nice and convenient. This definition... I think is good for this concept of the gospel. The gospel literally means good news. So when we say it's the good news, we're not saying that it's the okay news or the eh news or the adequate news. Like, like this reality of this definition of the gospel, the gospel is good news. It literally means good news. The word is a transliteration of a couple words that have been pushed together that literally mean good news because this is great news. The rest of that sentence is great News, not okay news, like great news. The good news of the reconciling power. That's a hugely important word because we think the gospel is all about reconciliation. See, we live in a world, we live relationships, we live maybe with people. Sometimes we think of God as this, this situation that's just broken. And so so, so the gospel is all about reconciliation, reconciling, taking broken things and putting them back together again. Reconciliation is a huge piece of the gospel. But it's not just because I'm really nice or we try really hard or we give enough money or we show up to church or we put pants on when we go outside. That's not what reconciles things. It's through the power of Jesus Christ. Amen? Like the good news of the reconciling power of Jesus Christ. Christ is the only way that our stuff gets reconciled. Sometimes it's us to us because we have brokenness in here. Sometimes it's us to other people. Certainly it's us to God. It's through that power of Jesus Christ. And not only for eternity, like the good news of the gospel, when I die, I get to go to heaven because I have a relationship with Jesus. That's a cool thing. But that's going to happen in, well, hopefully more than 10 or 15 minutes for me, but maybe 10 years or maybe 20 years or whatever. Like there's an eternity that's waiting for me, which is great. But that good news of the gospel, the reconciling power of Jesus Christ, it's for right now, too. The way that I live on December 4th, 2016. Like, and for you, right now, on December 4th, 2016, at 1120, and there's there's good news, the reconciling power of Jesus Christ, for now and into eternity. So that's kind of just the definition that I want in your head, floating around as we talk about this concept of glimpses of the gospel. We're going to be looking at these closest relationships that we have. We'll call them family. We'll look at all different kinds. Because here's the reality. Here's the thing. 
When we were created, we were not created to be alone. We were created to have relationship with God. That's how we were created. That was God's intent from the beginning. But it's almost like God in his wisdom was like, I don't know that they'll figure it out completely. I mean, imagine if when, when, when that first person was created and they're there and God's like, hey, you're alive, we're going to relate. And he's like, okay, I can't see you, <laughs> but I hear you. Am I weird? I don't know. And then, like, what does he do? Like, do you, do you want me to give you gifts? Or do you want me to, like, hug you but I can't touch you? Or, like, like could you see how maybe that would be kind of hard to wrap your head around? And so it's, it's almost as if God said, hey, I want you to have this physical, tangible representation of relationship so that you'll understand what with re- relationship with me could and should and, and, and will look like. And so God creates another person. Isn't that interesting? It's like, it's like God created another person to be a mere reflection of what a relationship with him would look like. Check it out. I want you to see this. I'm not just making this up. Genesis chapter 2 is where we want to start this morning. Genesis chapter 2, and we'll jump into verse uh, 20. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 20. God just created everything. Like, like everything, created light and dark and sky and birdies and animals and plants and trees and platypi, all kinds of stuff, right? God created everything. And God just finished creating man. And he says this in Genesis 2, uh, verse 20. He says, because uh, so, God said, hey, uh, man, go name all the animals. And man said, okay. And so it says in verse 20, so the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, the man... No suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she should be called woman, for she was taken out of man. If I were to translate that into Chris, it would sound something like, hey, she's like me. Because Adam's supposed to be figuring out this relationship between he and God. And God is so good that he makes a person that Adam can go, oh, I get it. Like all the stuff that we're going to be able to, like our relationship, the way we communicate, and the way we talk, and the way we show love, and the way we think through things together, the way we tackle life together, and the way we ride dinosaurs together, and the way that we do all the things that we do together. Okay, okay, that. Okay, I think I can maybe figure this out. So he says, he says, wow, she's like me. And, and then verse 24, it says, that's why man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. So God creates the very beginning relationship with other people, I think, as a mere image of a relationship between people and God, like this. And Adam and Eve, those two people that were perfect, they had this exact reflection of what it looks like to have a relationship to get with, with God. But over time, and it, and it doesn't take very long, in Genesis chapter 3, they make some decisions. Adam and, Adam and Eve both choose to, to break that relationship. They choose to sin and not only break the relationship between Adam and Eve, but break that relationship with God as well. And so it looks more like that. The relationship is busted and messed up. And the rest of the Bible is really cool because it's God working and planning and moving and orchestrating to repair that busted relationship people to people, people to God. 
like it was in the beginning. God does that. He repairs that relationship. And he sets it back together again. The problem is that it's not perfect. It's kind of it's messed up. And if you were to look in this mirror and try and get a, a, an exact picture of yourself, it would be kind of skewed. You'd get more like a, like a glimpse of what you really look like. Now, hear me, one day, oh man, one day it will be that again. Amen? When, I, when we die and we go to heaven, we look Jesus face to face and look him in the eye. If we've had a relationship with him, it will be that again. But until that moment, it's, it's a lot more like this. And so our relationship with other people sometimes looks a lot more like this, usually looks a lot more like this. And therefore, our relationship with God often looks like this too. Uh, a, a, a Bible author, a guy who wrote some things in the Bible in 1 Corinthians, this is the way he put it, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says it like this. He says, for now, right now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror, a broken mirror, or a dirty mirror, or a dim mirror. And then we shall see face to face. Right now, I know only in part. But then, when I die and go to be with Jesus, I will know fully, even as I am fully known. So this, The series that we want to talk about, this, this next four weeks as we talk about glimpses of the gospel, is this reality right here. This idea that our human relationships give glimpses of the gospel. The way we relate to each other are, are mere reflections of how Jesus relates to his people and how we as people can relate to Jesus. But the problem is that we have this thing called sin in there. And that makes that reflection often look more like that. In this series, we want to really pick apart probably the most intimate relationships we have. And that's the family relationships. Husbands to wives, parents and kids, grandparents, aunts, uncles. All of those give glimpses of the gospel. The series is really more a calling to think differently about our family relationships. That if they're supposed to be glimpses of the gospel, let's make them the best and clearest glimpses that we can possibly do that. That was all just intro. Sorry about that. That was all just getting us to this point. Today we want to talk about one specific kind of relationship. And for me, I think it is the penultimate. It is the biggest, most important, penultimate relationship that can give the clearest or the most broken picture of the gospel, and that's the marriage relationship. The relationship between husbands and wives. Now, I said that if you're not married, maybe uh, you're uh, divorced or widowed or something, don't, don't tune out just yet. Uh, give me a chance. I, I think there's some stuff in this for you as well. If you're uh, not married yet, you, you're engaged or you're seriously dating or something or living with somebody or in a romantic relationship but you're not married yet, don't tune out yet. I think there's some stuff here for you. And if you're uh, younger and you're like years and years away from marriage, you're thinking, I am not getting married for a long time. Don't tune out yet. I think there's some stuff in here for you as well. Fair enough. And if you're single and you've decided singleness is, your, is where you're going to be for life, that's fantastic. Don't tune out. We're actually going to talk about singleness in a couple of weeks because we think singleness also gives a glimpse of the gospel. But for this morning, I want to just capture this picture of marriage, this intimate relationship that we call marriage. And I want to start in kind of a strange place. I want to start in Matthew chapter 19. If you'd find that, that would be fantastic. If you're using the app, you pull that up, that's great. Matthew chapter 19. 
This is it's kind of interesting because if you have um, subheadings in your Bible, like the big, uh, bold, dark words above the chapter numbers, like those weren't inspired by God. God didn't write those things. Uh, those are just people who put those in there to try and help us find our way around. It's good stuff. It's just, it wasn't in the original text. But if you see that, that subheading there, it's like a strange place to start if we're going to talk about marriage. If you see it, my subheading says divorce. <laughs> it's never a great place to start if you're talking about Marriage, right? But, but I just want you to see Jesus and how he entered. A big picture here to see what he does. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 1. It says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea, to the other side of the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And some Pharisees, those were like the religious teachers who were always seemed to be opposed to Jesus, trying to trap him and stuff. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. And they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. You've heard that before, right? Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, the Pharisees asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another, uh, marries another woman commits adultery. Lots to unpack there, and I don't want to unpack all that. I just want us to see the big picture of what's going on. I, I'd love to sit down. We can unpack it more together if you want to. I just want us to see the big picture of what Jesus is doing here. Because in a culture that, that, that was shaped like them, it was interesting because they, 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 they put a lot of stock into the things that Moses said. Moses was this guy uh, years and years and years, thousand years before Jesus' day, and, and, and he had written a ton of the law. He was this guy that spoke with God, for God. So he wrote down a bunch of stuff uh, um, that was important, and, and he kind of helped these group of people to know how to live. And so one of the things that had happened back then in a culture that really gave women uh, no rights or very little rights is that Moses had said, hey, if you, if you get a divorce, uh, you've got to issue this certificate of divorce. And that was actually something that gave a lot of importance and put a lot of weight on the, 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 the situation of marriage and gave women rights because up till then it was like if you just woke up one day as a dude and you were like, yeah, I'm bored with her, you could just put her on a camel and smack the camel and like send her out, right? No, no big deal. And it was like Moses was thinking, hey, hey dudes, I want you to think more seriously about this. So if you're saying the marriage is over, like it's got to be this big legal deal certificate of divorce and we do this it's going it's to be complicated because it's important that you understand that this 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 commitment is is important and you can't just wake up and feel a certain way so that's kind of what moses had said and over time these pharisees had taken that idea and translated it to mean that um you could get a divorce but only if there was a reason well really any reason or every reason was an okay reason to get a divorce. Matter of fact, the way the rabbis, when they debated this, the way they came out of this is they had said that uh, divorce is permissible for men as long as they find some indecency in their wife. Now, the more liberal camps of uh, Jewish uh, life translated that to mean uh, anything. The more conservative uh, sides translated that to mean like sexual immorality. So if she wasn't faithful to you, it was okay. And as you move down the chain, well, if she put on a few pounds, that's indecent. So that's okay to get a divorce. Or if she burned the toast, that's okay because that's a reason to get a divorce. Or if I woke up and she gave me the eye roll, 
that's indecent and that's an okay reason to get a divorce. And so these Jews were living in this culture that said, hey, we can get a divorce for any and every reason as long as we issue a certificate of divorce. And so the Pharisees trying to trap Jesus in some kind of debate of the law and the rules and Moses and God and all that say so. And what's interesting is the response that Jesus gives. He doesn't say, yes, divorce in any and every reason. It's almost like he says, uh, divorce nearly never. And certainly he, he says, you know, except marital unfaithfulness, and there's some things we could talk more about that, but it's almost, it's, it's, I think Jesus is saying, marriage almost always. Divorce nearly never. There's reasons, and I, and I want to tread lightly here because I'm not looking to cause pain or guilt or frustration, and that is not what Jesus is doing either. I want us to see Jesus' big picture of what he's doing in this question uh, of marriage because as they ask him the, the, the deal and can we get a divorce, and Jesus does this thing where he highlights the permanence and power of marriage, the permanence and power of marriage. He says nearly never. That, that, that should be how that looks. Nearly never. And the question you have to ask, and the one that I want you asking right now, is why does Jesus say that about the marriage relationship? Because he doesn't say that about any other relationship in life. Like friends, you have friends that are good friends, been your friends for you know, a couple, three decades or whatever. Jesus never says, your friends will be your friends forever. They'll always be there. Like, that's supposed to be commitment at all costs. Jesus never says that. Like your siblings, your siblings have been your siblings forever and you've battled each other and you've loved each other and you've tried to kill each other or whatever you do with siblings. I don't know, I'm an only child. But, but you have these siblings, right? But Jesus never says that that sibling relationship will be permanent. It's so important that you stay close as siblings forever. And if you have, that's fantastic. And if you haven't, that's heartbreak. But Jesus never says that that relationship will be for always. It's, it's so weird because Jesus never says that the parent relationship will be forever. That's probably the relationship that requires maybe, I don't know, the most energy and sacrifice and tears and anguish and all that stuff. And yet Jesus actually calls that relationship temporary. He says it here. He says a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they'll create a new family. God, God said that way back in Genesis before there was mothers and fathers, which is a whole strange thing, that that relationship is temporary. That parenting relationship, one day those kids will move out and they will get married and they will begin their own families and you're still a parent. It doesn't mean that you turn in your card at the door and you're done, I know. But that, that relationship is temporary, what that looks like over those years. So why does Jesus highlight the permanence of the marriage relationship? You don't have to answer. That could be weird in this environment. But I kind of want to let that hang for a second. Like, that's important, and beyond everything else in this passage that might be difficult to try and figure out and wrap our heads around, we've got to come to grips with that answer. Why does he highlight the permanence of marriage? And the only thing that I could come up with is simply this, because there is power and something unique about the permanent commitment of marriage that's a glimpse of God's commitment to us. Somehow in that marriage relationship, in that commitment, that Jesus says, no, divorce nearly never. Because there's power in that picture, in that glimpse of the gospel, of Jesus' relationship with us. These Pharisees had this view of marriage maybe that said, ah, for any reason you could just end it and walk away. And I say, is that, is that how God treats us? 
The God's up in heaven is like, yeah, Chris burned the toast. I'm out of here. Right? Ah, uh, Chris sinned again. Again. Same thing. What an idiot. All that's true. Is God just, God says, I'm done with him. I'm out. I'm going to go find a new Chris Carter to hang out with. Right? There's something uniquely powerful about that glimpse of the gospel that marriage gives a watching world. Jesus highlights the permanence of that. Here's what's interesting is that the disciples got it. Like they don't always get what Jesus is talking about, but here they got what he was talking about. Look at verse 10 in Matthew 19. It says, The disciples said to him, "Uh, If this is the situation between husband and wife, it's better not to marry. Disciples say, If that's how it is, I don't know. I don't know about this marriage thing. And so Jesus responds to him in verse 11. He says, not, uh, Jesus replied, not everyone can accept those words, but only for those to whom it's been given. So Jesus goes on to talk a little bit about what they just said. He says, yeah, you know, they say, man, if, that, if this marriage thing is like permanent, and that's like a thing, like we've got to really nearly never, like that's the, what we're looking at. We don't know, man. Maybe it's better not get married. And Jesus says, you know, if that were the case, that'd be hard. Lots of people couldn't live by that. That'd be a rough deal to just live single for your life, unless that's what God's plan for you is. If that's been given to you, then that's a thing, you know? But, but if you're just doing it because marriage is hard, that's, that's not the way to go. It's interesting because the disciples get it. Disciples get it. It's interesting because uh, Paul picks up on it in Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to flip there. Paul is a guy who did a lot of writing in the New Testament. Paul started out hating Christians, and, uh, and then God interacts with him in this amazing way, and Paul becomes a guy who becomes the ardent defender of who Jesus is and writing portions that we now call our Bible and interacting with people. He just becomes this huge uh, part of the movement of Christ. And, and it's interesting because Paul picks up on this idea in Ephesians chapter 4. I'll read a little ahead just to get you to where we want to get to, but if we start in chapter 4, verse 31, it says this. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ in God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Jump over to verse 21. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he's the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. I recognize that passage brings lots of baggage. And I recognize that for years, I think there's been poor interpretations and things thrown in there that seem to indicate that women have to be doormats and and they can just be taken over by the men and men have to be these evil... I want to talk about all of that. We don't have time to talk about all of that this morning. I would love to sit down and unpack that more if you're interested in that. I just want us to get the big picture of what Paul is saying here. The big picture is this right here. Wives, because I don't think it's talking about being doormats. I think it has this idea of leadership and responsibility. But wives, the way that you treat your husbands is a mere image of how Jesus' people treat him. Did you see that in there? I don't think I'm making that up too much. You see that? That wives, the way you respond and interact and treat and deal with and all those other words in there, your husband is a, is a, is a glimpse of how Jesus' people, how the people can relate to God. Wives, the husbands. So are you controlling, rebellious, bitter, resentful, distrusting, complaining, gossiping? Then maybe that's not such a good glimpse of the gospel. And Paul goes on in verse 25. He says, Husbands, love your wives, 
Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy and cleansing by washing with water through the word and to present her, the church, to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for the body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. Again, I know, lots of stuff in there. I just want to do the overview, big picture. Do you see the comparison that's going on? Paul says, husbands, the way that you treat and interact with and spend time with and and speak about your wives is a glimpse, is a glimpse of the way that Jesus treats and speaks about and deals with his people. this This is powerful stuff to me. This has motivated me for months as it's begun to bore into my head. And maybe for some of you, you're like, you're like this is old hat, Chris. We understand all this. And now, praise God for you because this is, this is like deeper than it's ever been in my brain before. The importance of marriage and how it's a glimpse of the way Jesus and his people can relate. And so husbands are said, the way you treat your wife and, and, and spend time with her and, and love her is a mirror image of the reconciling gospel of Jesus. So what picture are you portraying? What image do you reflect? Are you controlling, mean, harsh? Are you passive, disengaged, putting your best efforts elsewhere? Then then maybe that's a bad glimpse of the gospel in reality, a lie. See, and Paul doesn't want us to miss it, so he like lands the plane so specifically it's impossible to meet in verse 31. He says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. You've heard that before, right? But uh, this is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I'm talking about Christ and the church. This this picture of marriage, Jesus highlights the permanence of it, how, how important that commitment piece is. Because I think that it is a mere reflection, it is a glimpse of God's commitment to us. And the way we treat our spouses becomes, becomes a, a, a picture that a world sees of the, the gospel that is supposed to be good news of reconciling power, God and his people, for us now and into eternity. And my prayer is that our marriages are that, become that, do that, and my bet is that even in your marriage, because again, I, I want to be, be sensitive here because I know that marriages are in all different kind of states and conditions and it's, it's hard. And some marriages are not what you'd want it to be. But I got to bet, even in those most challenging marriages, that there is a glimpse of the gospel because I think that God has created it to be that way. Even in the most broken of marriages, there is a glimpse of the gospel because I think God has created it to be that way. It may look even worse than this shattered mirror, but, but it, it's there. We're, we're in a season of Christmas, right? And, and I know that sometimes Christmas season, often like our dysfunctions pour out, maybe more than normal, right? And, and so it might take a little work even to see those glimpses of the gospel sometimes in those marriage relationships. But I guarantee, I'm, I'm, I'm so convinced that they're there. And if nothing else, we have opportunity to do some things in our marriages that make it the best glimpse, the best picture of the gospel as possible. So if you're feeling discouraged or defeated right now, that is not my intention. I would really like you to battle that. 
to push that aside. Instead, hear this more like a fight song or a clarion call, that bugle blow, to say, yeah, absolutely, wherever I'm at, wherever we're at with marriages, wherever you're specifically at, I want that to be a a great glimpse of the gospel. And here's how I want to end today. I'm just going to ask you if whatever you need to do to like focus your mind. I have nine statements that I want to read. If you have to close your eyes, great. Or if you have to just look at your iPad, great. Or stare on the ceiling, great. Or whatever you got to do just to, just to not lose attention. I promise, two minutes more. Nine statements. As I read those, will you just think about your significant other? If it's the person you're married to, great. If it's the person that maybe you're not married, you're just engaged, great. If it's just the person you're living with, great. If it's just the person you're sleeping with, and that's it. I want you to picture that person. If it's just a person you're just fooling around with because you're just a game player, great. I want you to picture that person, nine statements, and I want you just to evaluate that relationship. Here we go. Number one, glimpses of the gospel in our marriage relationship. Does your relationship glimpse the same kind of commitment Jesus has to his people? If you're merely sleeping together, I can lovingly suggest that it does not. Does your relationship glimpse the same level of love that Jesus has for his people? Do you go all out for him, for her? Number three, does your relationship glimpse the same gems of joy that Jesus has for his people? Is it a fun place to be? Number four, does your relationship glimpse the same proportion of patience that Jesus has with his people? Forgiving easily, not holding grudges. Number five, Does your relationship glimpse the same quality of kindness that Jesus has for his people? Or do you speak negatively about the other person? Number six, does your relationship glimpse the same grade of goodness as Jesus has for his people? Number seven, does your relationship glimpse the same fullness of faithfulness that Jesus has for his people? Like nothing comes before your relationship, not work or sports or money. If you're putting your best effort into anything else, can I lovingly suggest that it does not? Number eight, does your relationship glimpse the same gobs of gentleness as Jesus has for his people? Number nine, does your relationship glimpse the same caliber of self-control as Jesus exhibits with his people? As we finish this morning, this is not a guilt-shame situation. This is just opportunity for us to take some inventory and stock of that romantic, marriage, dating, engaged relationship that we're existing in. What kind of glimpse of the gospel is that relationship given to a watching world? Let's stand up. We'll sing a song together. We'll be done.